Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Well, we are in the middle of the Unlikely Heroes series, and I'm delighted that you're here with us for this time in the Word. Now, I'm going to do something a little different to start this morning off. Normally, right here, we read a portion of the Scripture that I'll be teaching from, and I have you stand, and I'm going to do that, but in a minute. But before I do that, to really understand this passage, you have to understand a little bit of history. So you're just going to have to give me like five minutes or so here at the start to kind of unpack that so you'll understand what's going to happen in the service. Now, um, what I want you to think about are four numbers, and some of you have heard me walk through this before, but it's just helpful to think through it again. The number 2,000, the number 1,500, the number 1,000, the number 500, okay? 2000 BC is when Abraham is called, I'm generalizing here, but we can remember it this way. The 1500 BC is when Moses is called. 1000 BC is when King David begins to reign, and that's the United Kingdom. That's kind of the peak of Israel's uh, history. And then about 500 um, BC is when Ezra, Nehemiah, and those guys show up and right when the Old Testament ends. So just say it with me, 2,000, 1,500, 1,500 together. 2,000, 1,500, 1,500. 2,000 is Abraham. Say it with me. 2,000 is Abraham. 1,500 is Moses. There you go. Perfect. 1,000 is David. And 500 is Ezra, Nehemiah, and everybody else there. Okay, so Here's what I want you to see. That's an important part, but the section we're talking about this morning is over here between the 1,000 and the 500, okay? And that's a place where we call the divided kingdom. Now, I also need to, I told you history, but I wasn't fully truthful. I also have to teach a geography, okay? So geography and history in five minutes. Here's how it goes, okay? The images that you're looking at on the screen, the one to the left, you immediately recognize as the state of New Jersey, the one to the right, is the country of Israel. This is important. That's not perfect, but it's pretty close to perfect. That's the dimensions. So what you need to know is that when you think in terms of Israel and this land we're about to talk about, um, you just need to kind of think in terms of the scope of New Jersey. Now, there's something else that we have in common. This is perfect. There's something else we have in common with the country of Israel, and that is between... um, Between that year when it was the United Kingdom of Israel under King David, and then there was Solomon, and then he was followed by Rehoboam, and then the kingdom divided, which meant there was a north and south southern kingdom, just like there is a north and south Jersey. That's exactly right. Is that perfect? Like, this is so perfect. Some of you aren't old enough to know this, but in 1980, okay, in 1980, five southern counties in New Jersey voted to see if we could become a 51st state down here, okay? And most of us would still appreciate that if it actually happened, all right? The point is that, yeah, that's right, okay, careful, careful, careful. Uh, We might get arrested for that now, okay? The point is this, that there was a northern kingdom, there was a southern kingdom, and there was also a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom in Israel. And and that's just the first part of it. You're going to love this part even more, okay? The northern kingdom would be named Israel. And so you say, but I thought all of the nation was Israel. That's true. But there's a section in your Bible where there's a division between Israel and Judah. 
okay? The northern kingdom is named Israel. Now, that direction's north, so just, I told you it's a quick history lesson, okay? So I'm gonna go over here, and I'm going to find myself 19 kings, okay? So when I point to you, just stand for me. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, one more right here, 19, okay? Now these are the kings of Israel. During the divided kingdom, the northern kingdom, that is Israel, had 19 kings, okay? I'm gonna get to the southern kingdom in a second. And all of those kings, are you ready for this, were bad. So what you guys have to do for me is you just got to turn and look that direction. Just show us your back. There you go. These are bad kings, okay? Now just stay there for a second, all right? Because I got to go find my southern kingdom over here, right? Now my southern kingdom's on this side. And what you need to know about the southern kingdom is they had 20 kings, okay? So here we go. One, two, three. Stand up, stand up, stand up. Don't be a rebellious king, Pastor Scott. Okay, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, a child king, that's even better, and 20, okay? Stand where you are, okay? Now, of these 20 kings, eight of them were good. So let me just, uh, let me just single out. Come here, so you guys single out for me. One, two, we'll take this row, three. I'll take this row, four, five, six, seven, eight. Perfect. You guys turn and face this way, okay? Those are your good kings. Everybody else turn and face that way. Those are your bad kings, okay? Now, just what I want you to see is that the southern kingdom had good kings. You say, wait a second, but the southern kingdom lasted longer, and the northern kingdom didn't last very long at all, but they had about the same amount of kings. That's because when they're bad kings, they don't last very long. Like, they just roll over about every three or four years, and they keep dying. Like, okay, so, but the good kings had longer periods of time, and they're on this side. Okay, now all my kings can sit down except for my eight good kings, okay? All my kings can sit down, okay, okay. Now watch this, okay? These eight kings, of the eight good kings, there were four that were especially good. So I'm going to pull you guys out right here. One, this is going to be Jehoshaphat. This is going to be Asa, okay? Oh, this is great. Come here. Come. This is so perfect. I didn't even plan this, okay? Okay, Josiah was a child king, right? Like, this is beautiful. Hello, Josiah. I'm Pastor Phil. Nice to meet you, okay? And Hezekiah, I'll grab Hezekiah. Hezekiah was an old king, okay? So we got it. Perfect. Okay. All right. I did not plan it this way, so, but I want you guys to step out in the aisle for me for just a second, because there were eight of these kings that were exceptionally good. You guys can sit down right here, okay? And I want to introduce them to you today, okay? This one's going to be Jehoshaphat, this one's going to be Asa, this one's going to be Josiah, and this one's going to be Hezekiah. And these are kings that are given a special attention during the divided kingdom, okay? But the one we're going to talk about this morning is King Asa, right? So... You guys can all, yeah, that's my son's name. What, what just happened there? Okay. There was suddenly emotion in that word. There wasn't supposed to be. Okay, sit down. We're coming back there in a second. Okay. And what I want to tell you is there's really something cool about the good kings. All of the good kings, with only one exception, came from bad king lineage. I mean, you can sit down, Asa. You're, you're good, okay? All of the good kings, with only one exception, had dads that were bad kings. Which means that if you grew up and you say, man, Phil, if you only knew my family, like, my life's a wreck, and that's why my life's a wreck, and it's just my life's a wreck, and that's why. I just want to remind you that's not the story of Scripture, okay? The story of Scripture is that even if you grew up in a really wretched environment, 
God can redeem you in such a way that he will use you in a way that is phenomenal. And that's what you see from these four good kings with the exception of one who actually was born to a good king. And we're gonna save that for the end of the lesson. So now, with that in mind, will you stand with me as we read through the scriptures together? Second Chronicles chapter 14. And you now know that we're reading the story of a good king, uh, King Asa. And I'll pick up the reading here at Second Chronicles. And if you have your Bibles, you may want to turn there. We're going to be kind of moving through chapter 14, 15 and 16, but I'll start with uh, chapter 14. Verse 2, and Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. And he took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the ashram and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. He also took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest or peace under him. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for the Lord gave him peace. And he said to Judah, that's the nation of Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers and gates and walls. And the land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us peace on every side. So they built, and they prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears, and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All of these were mighty men of valor. You may be seated out of respect to the word. Thank you. You're going to note that there were 10 tribes in the northern kingdom that had 2019 bad kings. There were um, two tribes in the southern kingdom, the tribe of Judah, and that carries the name, and the tribe of Benjamin, okay? Now, those two carry, uh, those two became the nation of Judah. When we look at Asa's life, we're going to learn three lessons, and here they are this morning. When you face greatest difficulties, when you experience your greatest successes, and when you're tempted to take the credit, Okay? When you face your greatest difficulties, when you experience your greatest successes, and when you're tempted to take the credit. Here's the first one. When you face your greatest difficulties, depend upon the Lord. What made Asa significant is that when he faced the greatest difficulties, he would see he depended on the Lord, uh, almost, okay? And you'll see that, just stay with me. But when he depended upon the Lord fully, completely, God came through. Now, this is important because for many of us, we can feel overwhelmed. We can feel trapped. We, we can feel as if there's no way out, right? And when we feel that way, we just want to be reminded that just like Asa, when we face our greatest difficulties, we should and can depend upon the Lord. Now, if you've been following, we're going to move into uh, chapter 14, verses 9 and following. Uh, bear in mind, these are kingdoms, and once they're divided, and there's a northern kingdom, the northern kingdom is not getting along with the southern kingdom, okay? So they're battling one another. And so um, suddenly, this smaller kingdom like South Jersey would have to battle the northern kingdom. But they wouldn't only have to battle, battle the northern kingdom, they'd have to battle the other people, like coming up out of Ethiopia. And that's what you see here in chapter 19, in, in, in cha verse 9. Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. Now, um, Asa had 580,000. That's a lot of people, okay? But he doesn't have 300 uh, biblical tanks. That's what I'm going to call chariots. And he doesn't have a million men. He's got 580,000. So he's overwhelmed, understandably. 
It's, he's in way over his head. And Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Merasha, which is an area down south there a bit. And Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zephatha and Merashah. Okay, now just know this. There they are, one million facing off to 580,000. They're the underdogs. And Asa cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help. Between the mighty and the weak, help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are God, let not man prevail against us. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. The rest of that story is how they chased them back towards Africa, and how they overcame them, and how they plundered them. Now, here's the thing. When you face a difficulty, the first thing you must not do is to downplay your difficulty. Don't say, really, really, it's not that big of a deal. I I can handle it, I can handle it, okay? That is not a biblical posture. The biblical posture says, this is way bigger than I can handle, I'm in over my head, okay? We don't downplay it. And we see that right in the text, because while Asa had 580,000, he didn't have a million. And he was gone up against a million men and 300 chariots that could just run down men, okay? And I want you to see what he did right there, as opposed to going out and speaking to his soldiers and say, hey, let's just build each other up a little bit. We can do this, okay? Instead, look what he does. The text says that Asa cried to the Lord his God. Now, now, just picture this for a second. What are we doing, Asa? We're going to war. You know they outnumber us two to one. Yeah, I know, they outnumber us two to one. What are we doing? Let's go to war. He walks out. There's the battle line. There's the enemy. Here's his army. And they say, what's next? And he says, just a minute, I gotta go pray. Okay. Not only did Asa cry out to the Lord, he cried out to the Lord because, frankly, at this stage, he's overwhelmed. And he doesn't downplay it. He admits it. But that phrase, um, Asa cried to the Lord, is found in other places in the Scriptures. Like in chapter 13, look at this. Down in uh, chapter 13, verse 14, and Judah looked, that's the whole nation, behold, the battle was in front and behind them, and they cried to the Lord, and the priests blew their trumpets. When Jeroboam, the king, two kings before Asa, when Jeroboam, uh, Jeroboam, I'm sorry, the the Israelite king, the northern king, attacked, he sent an ambush around those who were in Judah, and when the nation looked up, they had people in front of them, they had people in back of them, and what did they do? They cried. They cry to the Lord. And, and, and that's important because where Asa could have been overwhelmed, here this crying to the Lord speaks to the fact that you're totally surrounded. You ever feel totally surrounded? Like, like have you ever said something like, man, this is the day where everything went wrong, okay? You're totally surrounded by problems. It doesn't matter who you talk to, something's gonna go wrong, okay? And in that moment, they didn't downplay it, they also cried to the Lord, but that's not the only time we see it. Look at this phrase. Clear back in the book of Exodus, we find that when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly, because there was like a wadi, it's an Israeli kind of river, but it dries out at certain times, and they'd march down that river to the Red Sea, and there they are at the uh, corner, at the edge of the Red Sea, and they turn around, and it's just one way in and one way out, and coming down that wadi, coming down that road is the entire Egyptian army. There's no place to go. And what do they do? And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They didn't say it's going to be okay. 
And look what Moses says. Moses said, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. And all of you who know the rest of the story know that when they stood at the edge of the Red Sea, what did God do? Parted the Red Sea, right? And they walked through. Here's the thing. You cannot downplay your difficulty. Here's the second thing that we learned from Asa. Review the character of God. Review the character of God. Don't downplay your difficulty. Acknowledge it's challenging. When someone says, what can I pray for you for? Um, if you're carrying a burden, confess that burden, right? Let people know it's difficult. Here's the second side. Review the character of God. And note this in the text. And Asa cried to the Lord as God. And look what he said. Oh, Lord, there is none like you to help. There's nobody like God. He, he doesn't say God's good, but, you know, we might need a little bit of help here. Okay, no, he says there is none like you to help. Between the mighty and the weak, Lord, they're coming at us. There's a million people. They've got 300 chariots. What are we going to do? They're mighty. We're weak. See how he didn't downplay his difficulty? But he goes on in that to say, listen, in spite of that, in spite of that, you are the one who is mighty. And he says that. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you. In your name we have come against this multitude. We're not here on our own. We're not here alone. Oh, Lord, you are our God. Let not men prevail against you. And that shows us the third idea. And here it is. Go in his strength, not your own. Go in his strength, not your own. You say, well, how am I going to know that? Okay. Let me help you with that. I can only speak for how it works for me. When I face a difficulty and my first response is to plan, okay, and not to pray, that's the best evidence that I'm going in my own strength. And I do that all the time, right? I face a difficulty and I begin to think, okay, what am I going to do about this? How am I going to figure it out? As opposed to just saying, Lord, I need your help. Right now, I need your help, okay? If you plan, I'm not saying you shouldn't plan, but if you plan before you pray, okay, you're going in your own strength. But if you would just pause and say, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm overwhelmed. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to meet the needs. And then I'm going to plan prayerfully then you're going in his strength, not your own. And we see that in the text right here, for it says, O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. Notice what, notice what he just did. He said, there's a million men on that side. There's 580,000 men on this side. And he doesn't say, let not, us, let not them prevail against us. He says, let not let them prevail against you. He immediately says, when we go into this battle, we're going in on God's strength, not on our own. And then there's one final thought there as well. Here it is. Wait on the Lord, don't rush ahead. Wait on the Lord, don't rush ahead. There are times where we should be waiting on the Lord. Now, that waiting on the Lord is always waiting, not, not kicking our feet back, not taking a nap in a hammock. That waiting is a waiting that is ready to go, but we don't rush ahead of God in it. And it's so fascinating. If you just look at the passage again, look at when he cried and said, Lord, you are a God. Let not man prevail against you. See what I've circled? The space between verses 11 and 12. Because all he does is pray, and then he doesn't pull all the generals together. There's, there's no mention that he pulls everybody together to plan, and here's what we're going to do. There's just space, just a one little space. And then it says, so the Lord defeated the Ethiopians. Right. That there is here, we have to, we did all of what we could do, now we wait, and we wait for God to move. And God does. 
When you face your greatest difficulties, depend upon the Lord. That's what you learn from uh, chapter 14. But chapter 15 also tells the story of Asa. When you experience your greatest successes, remain faithful to the Lord, okay? When you experience your greatest successes, remain faithful to the Lord. Now, this is probably the highlight of his ministry. Um, Asa runs, uh, uh, the, the Lord defeats a million Ethiopians. What's left of them runs back to Africa. And he is left up there in the Middle East and he begins to build and he begins to do remarkable things in this window of time. And the country really blossoms under him. When you experience your greatest successes, remain faithful to the Lord. But there is this really cool story that happens right at the beginning of chapter 15. And just look at it. Right after they do all of that work and they come back to Jerusalem, verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And here's the passage. Just look at it. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, hear me, O Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, because there's two tribes, remember. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, um, and then it goes on to say this. For a long time, Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without the law. But when they're in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. And in those times, there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in. Whether you went out of the country or came into the country, there was no peace. For great disturbances afflicted the inhabitants of the land. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Here's the idea that goes with it. He comes off a mountaintop, and Azariah, this uh, one son of, son of Oded, the prophet, comes running to him and says, basically, beware of the dark valley that follows the mountaintop experience. Beware of the dark valley that follows the mountaintop experience. Whenever I have experienced something that is, um, that is spiritually just a moment where I just kind of say, wow, God worked, okay? I have learned to say that and then to start to look around with a heightened awareness. Because some of my best mountaintop experiences with the Lord have been followed with temptation that just totally wiped me out. And that's because, what you just need to understand, is that there is a warning when you win the battle that you might all of a sudden just say, wow, look what God did. And then a little later you say, wow, look what God did and look what we did, okay? And then a little later, you just start to say, look what we did. Okay. There's always a tendency when we have that mountaintop experience that we forget how God was involved in it. Now, I love the New Living Translation's rendering of that passage I just read to you because of the way it kind of captures Azariah, okay? Here it comes. Look at, uh, then the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Oded, and he went out to meet King Asa as he was returning from battle. He said, listen to me, Asa, exclamation point. He shouted, Listen, all you people of Judah and Benjamin, he shouted, okay? It's like he's saying, now that feels a little different, doesn't it? Like, watch out, watch out, okay? Like, it was a mountaintop, great, great job, great job, great victory, great victory, watch out, watch out, watch out, okay? Why? Because whenever you have experienced a mountaintop experience, you just need to be careful for the dark valley that's gonna follow. Um, and maybe some of you are in the dark valley moment now, that's what, just know that as you walk through that valley, you're not alone in the valley. And when you come up to the mountaintop, you're not alone on the mountaintop, okay? And when you come back down into a valley, you're not alone in the valley. The point is this, that you need to be aware of those dark valleys because bad things happen in those dark valleys, particularly when you are not 
attentive. Understand the faithfulness that is a sum. Understand that faithfulness is the sum of your daily commitments. There's a little something happening here in the Hebrew language that I'm just going to, I already gave you history, I already gave you geography, and now I got to give you grammar. I'm sorry, okay? Just like you're back in class. Here's the grammar. When the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, he said, hear me, Asa, and all of Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. Note this phrase, if you seek him. Now, the word seek there is, in the Im- is an imperfect verb, which means it isn't completed yet, which basically means you have to seek him today, and you have to seek him tomorrow, and you have to seek him the day after tomorrow. It's not completed, okay? You, you, you haven't graduated. Every day is a day of seeking the Lord again and again and again. And the promise here is that if you seek him, he will be found by you. It sounds exactly like Jeremiah 29, you know, 11 is the verse we quote, but verse 13, just two verses later, goes on to say, uh, when you seek me, you will find me, God said. But that's a daily seeking. That's a daily delving. That's a daily, I'm going to open my Bible today and I'm going to see what God wants me to learn today, right? And that's, that's also so important, isn't it, off those mountaintop experiences because we kind, of, we kind of just hit neutral and coast a little bit on the backside of that, and we can't. We come off the mountaintop experience, the very next day should be the day that we give, even give greater attentiveness. I can remember, I can remember uh, sitting in my preaching class when I was in seminary some, I don't know, a, a long time ago, okay? And the, and, the, and the professor, who was also a pastor, stepped in on this particular day, and this is what he said. He said, Guys, you're going to preach. You're going to be pastors with your lives. Okay, I understand that. That's what you want to do. Here's what I want to tell you. There's going to be some weeks, everything gets blown up. Your study time gets blown up, right? You can't, you can't, get, to the, you can't get into the Word enough because this happens, this happens. You do a funeral and you do some other things that were planned and then all of a sudden somebody's in the hospital on Saturday night at midnight and there's you are in the hospital and, and you're just saying, I'm not ready, okay? And then you go and preach, okay? And people come after you after that Sunday and they say, Pastor, that's the best message I've ever heard from you in my life, okay? And uh, he said, and that happens, okay? And this is what he said. He said, Monday is the most dangerous day in your life, okay? Because you're gonna think <laughs> that if it happened last week, okay, I'm gonna spend Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday on some stuff I wanna do, okay? And it's not gonna be the same. And here's the point for all of us, for all of us, not just pastors, that if you understand that the day after the mountaintop experience is the most important day, because rather than coast and say, wow, look what God did, you've got to start that very next day because faithfulness is the sum of your daily commitments. Seek today, seek tomorrow, seek the next day, seek the next day. It's that daily practice that when you practice like that, at some stage, somebody looks back and honors you for faithfulness. That's how it works. And that's why we should seek God daily. And there's a lot of application there for some of you too. Maybe you're a high school student. Maybe you're a college student. Maybe you're an elementary school student. Maybe you're, a, you're just going to work every single day in your craft or in, or, or in your calling. And whatever it is, like, when you have good days, you kind of take it a little easy. That's not faithfulness. Right? 
Faithfulness is the very next day is a daily commitment to keep my commitments, to seek him so that I will be found, so that he will be found. It's always going back to the very next day and faithfulness. Ace understood that. That's what you see. One final one. Remember the past failures, not only the present successes. When you experience your greatest successes, Remain faithful, Lord. How do you say, you say, Phil, how am I going to do that? Beware of the dark valley. Understand the faithfulness is the sum of your daily commitments. And here's the last one. Un- remember the past failures, not only the present successes. And, and notice how the prophet kind of unpacked that. He unpacked that because he said for a long time, Israel was out the true God and without a teaching priest and without the law. He says, listen, Asa, Right where you are, you just got to remember that, that before you, there was a time where, where it was really hard to live in the land of Judah, and, and it was hard to live there because they weren't paying attention to the word, and they didn't have a priest that was teaching them, and none of them were listening anyhow, and, and those were difficult times. But in the distress, when they came to the Lord, God was there, right? Remember the past failures, not only the present successes, and see how he says that? For a long time, Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest, and without the law. He said, I'm not, not going to uh, cause you to remember this mountaintop experience. I want you to remember how hard it was before. Now, that's the good news about Asa, but there's also bad news, right? The life of Asa is remarkable because he is one of those four kings in the divided kingdom, just one of those really four really special kings um, who really lived for the Lord, but he's also one who forgot just temporarily. And that's why we say this last and third important lesson. When you're tempted to take the credit, walk humbly before the Lord, okay? When you're tempted to take the credit, walk humbly before the Lord. When you're tempted to take the credit, walk humbly before the Lord. I was just down in, um, in uh, Florida teaching at a Bible school down there this past week for a few days. And, um, you know, Kim asked me, how did it go? And I just said, it probably was the best time of teaching the college students that I've ever had. And I was trying to figure that out, like, why? And then it occurred to me, um, there were some events in my life in this past, in the last couple weeks, uh, multiple events, not just a singular event, that I was frightened of, that I didn't know how to handle, that I was wrestling with. And so even down there, I kind of went in with a greater spirit of, I've taught this stuff for nine years down there, but this one's different, right? I don't feel quite as capable, even though it's the same notes and the same material and the same illustrations, I just didn't feel quite as capable. But not only, I think, was I different in my spirit, but the students were. Because you may remember there's a hurricane that just came through Florida, and so these students had all gone home for a brief brief time during that hurricane, and, and now they were back again. So they had, they had experienced, whoa, like when these things happen, that's a lot bigger than us. Maybe you kind of had that experience until the leaves started growing on the trees. Like for the longest time, when I would drive down Breakneck Road, I would just look back at those trees and say, my God is so much bigger than I am, okay? He can do things that I can't even fathom. And, and it wasn't only that. It was that they had had a student in their student body of about 130 students who had taken a missions trip just a few months earlier uh, to South America and had contracted malaria. And when he came back, he didn't recover from that. He died. And so 
there was a far greater sensitivity on their part and there was a far greater sensitivity on my part. They, they were walking in humility because they'd seen things like hurricanes and the death of someone who's in the 20s as opposed to someone who's 80. And, and so they were definitely different, but I was different. And, and I'm reminded of this, that when we're tempted to take the credit, that's the very moment we just need to walk humbly before the Lord. And let me show you where Asa didn't do that. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, it speaks of his last years. And uh, this is what we read. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, okay, he's going to live 41 years. He's going to reign 41 years. Basha, the king of Israel, went up against Judah. Now, you know this already from the geography and from the kings. Basha's over here on this side. He's a bad king. He's an Israelite king. And Judah's over here on this side. But what I didn't tell you geography-wise is that Syria is way back here in the north. Well, there's a Syrian king that's got a, thing, that's, that, that, that's got a contract working with the Israeli king. And so Asa figures it out that all he's got to do is knock off the Syrian king and that will cause the Israeli king, Basha, not to be that, that confident that he can actually defeat Judah. And that's what we read here. He's planning, but he's not praying. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. In other words, he's building up. He's starting to build up his border so that nobody can get over into the land of Judah. And then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord, ooh, and the king's house, and sent them to Benadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus. That's the king way over there. Uh, a, a pagan king, not an Israel or Judah, Jewish king. And this is what he said. There is a covenant between me and you as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And I've added there, that's exactly what happened. You say, well, that sounds like a good plan. Like, you're protecting your country. You're overcoming uh, an enemy that's just north of you. That sounds like a good plan, but there was no prayer in it, see? And that's why I would call it this. Maybe this is the lesson we learned. Our manipulative planning reveals our effort to control. Our manipulative planning reveals our effort to control. Now, Now, we do this all the time. It's just not Asa who's got a problem with it. When you and I, when in your marriages, in your relationships, in whoever you're talking to, when you start withholding information that should have been shared, you say, well, they never asked. That's why I never lied, okay? No, 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 that's not what Ephesians 4 says. It says, uh, put away lying. Someone asks you yes, and you say no, that's a lie. And speak truth. That means if they have the right to know or it's better for them to know, then you should tell. And if you're not, if, if you become really adept at kind of holding back a little bit of information so that you can get it, whatever you want, your way, okay, and you're not praying, I'm just going to tell you, that's manipulative planning, and it reveals your effort to control, your effort to control. Um, I want to ask for a show of hands, but if I were to ask our high schoolers, how many of you have kept something back from mom and dad because you know it would cost you if you told them, okay? And some of you are saying right now, man, Pastor Phil, I'm really glad you told me I didn't have to raise my hand, okay? Because I'm just telling you, that's the process of manipulative control. That is not dependence on the Lord and it's not walking humbly, okay? 
There's one more, though. There's one more area, actually. There's two more areas that are there. Look at this one. Um, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah. So when this happens, when this contract goes down, this is what he says. Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord. See what he did? You manipulated plan with the king of Syria to overcome your relationship with the king of Basha, the king of Israel, and did not rely on the Lord your God. The army of the king of Syria has escaped you. We're not the Ethiopians and the Libyans, a huge army with many chariots and horsemen. Don't you remember, Asa? Don't you remember that God took care of a million people? You don't think he can handle Israel? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. Note this. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Asa, you only got two years left of your kingdom. Five years, 36 year to the 41st year. But, but here's the thing. You, uh, you didn't follow the Lord. And this is really interesting because it introduces us to another issue of Asa. Then Asa was angry with Asir and put him in stocks in prison. Okay. That's not the right solution. Okay. When someone comes speaking truth to you, the right solution is not to say, why don't you go to prison so I don't have to hear you anymore? For he was enraged with him because of this, and Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. This is so foreign to the first 36 years of his ministry. Are you with me? This is not the king he was. But once you begin to rely upon yourself, and then someone addresses you relying on yourself, it is so easy, I'll just say it, to become defensive in your anger, which reveals your prideful spirit. So there's one thing working that's kind of manipulative. You're keeping stuff back so that you don't get in trouble. But when you're actually addressed, you're immediately defensive. Can I tell you something? When you see that defensiveness throughout the scripture, it's a prideful spirit. Even Paul, like when he defends himself, says things like, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I've been faithful, but I'm not my, before my conscience. I, I, I've not, I have nothing against my conscience. But he says, but I'm not by that acquitted. Like, there's still humility in it. Like, I think I'm blameless, but, you know, maybe there's something I don't know. When there is a defensive anger posture, we are revealing a prideful spirit. And that prideful and defensive anger will always affect other people, even inflicting cruelties upon other people at the same time. But here is the beauty of the story of Asa. Our God-ordained humiliation reveals his grace in our lives. That's right. Our God-ordained humiliation reveals his grace in our lives. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe, so he couldn't walk anymore. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from the physicians. It's the same pattern, right? You say, but the humiliation didn't work. Ah, ah, but it did. That's the secret. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. You say, but it doesn't sound like he changed. No, but see, there's somebody else that knew. Just watch this. Remember I told you there, was, there were two kings. There are four good kings. Where are my four good kings? Uh, where are my four good kings? Oh, Josiah's asleep. I don't want to wake him up, okay? Oh, he's awake. Okay, stand up for me real quick. Hezekiah, Josiah, okay? 
Um, here they are a father-son combination, but they're not really a father-son combination. Both of these kings, there's years between them, had bad king dads. Okay. Come here, Asa. Come here, Jehoshaphat. Watch this. There is only one king in the divided kingdom out of 20, 20 and 19, 49 kings. There's only one king, one good king who was born to a dad who was called out to be a good king. And it is Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa. You say, but look what his dad did. I know, but I think Jehoshaphat knew his dad from before and knew his dad's dependence now on his strength. And that's the grace of God that says, I will reach into a family where even when dad struggles and stumbles, the son can still be a good king. Only one, only one good king born to a good king, dad. Jehoshaphat, the son, born to the good king, Asa. You guys can be seated. Father, it's been a privilege to look to your word this morning, to be reminded of the value of living for you, and to be reminded of the grace that is poured out upon us when we are undeserving. And even when we make mistakes, Lord, I'm preaching to a room full of people who have made mistakes, and I among them uh, can say with Paul, chief of sinners, and yet you are so gracious to give us opportunities, to give us influence that we do not deserve. May we guard ourselves in the mountaintop experiences from getting overwhelmed when we come down into the valleys. May we remember that you are a God who deals graciously with us. And Lord, may we be thankful for the way you've reached down at the times we're overwhelmed, at the times we're surrounded by what feels like a million-man army, and you work on our behalf. We are thankful. We are thankful. For just a moment, um, with your heads bowed, can can I just encourage you, if you have felt discouraged because you think you cannot possibly get over your past, Can I just encourage you to give that to the Lord this morning, right where you are? Just say, Lord, I don't want to live like that anymore. I don't want to think like that. Whatever happened in my past, whatever happened with my parents, I I don't want to live in that. Just take a moment and let him know that. And if you're here this morning and you would acknowledge you've made your own mistakes, may you just realize that those mistakes don't keep God from using you. And may you just humbly tell him, listen, I don't want to live anymore in the self-pity of my own mistakes, thinking that you can't use me. If you choose to use me, Lord, use me. Just let him know that you surrender that to him. Father, we're humbled, we're grateful to learn from you. Help us seek you daily because we know that you will be found. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible 